Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. First one's called Starfucker. I saw on Twitter, uh, somebody said that the Rolling Stones Brussels concert in 1973, which for years has been circulating as a bootleg, is now officially available. And so it's really what, from the record company? Or? Not from the record company. No, from the Rolling Stones store. It's a really odd thing. And you can get it as a, as, as a download. Their little shop. MP3. It's like, it is just like Stella Street. It's a, bit, little shop. it's a bit more than a little <laughs> shop, I think. It's, it's a place where they, they Charlie make money. Charlie behind the counter. Charlie, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's past its sell-by date. <laughs> you remember that bit with Stella? So you can either have it on MP3 or FLAC. Fraser, do you know what FLAC means? Flack. <laughs> Very good. OK. Yeah. It's a lossless uh, format. I don't know what It's don't better know what it quality, for. isn't it? So it's yeah. either $7 or $9, apparently. So I downloaded this thing and... Uh, of course, I've had it for years, but it's very interesting when you can download it legitimately at last. Is the can quality it? better? Yeah, the quality is better. And it's, you know, as we've frequently discussed on the podcast, it's the Rolling Stones, when they were at their best, when Mick Taylor was in the group, you know, that, that short period of time. Is any fool, though? <laughs> yeah, right-minded person would agree. It's yeah. very basic rock O-level, that is. When were the Rolling yeah. Stones best? Yeah. They were best when Mick Taylor was in the right group. Right answer. That's Tick, tick, correct, uh, and uh, it's it's wonder it's wonderful to to hear that stuff. But of course, it struck me all classic bootlegs 
eventually get a legitimate release. Do they not? Or am I wrong? They probably will. They will. The, the Dylan ones did. The Dylan did series. they? Is that the case? Well, yeah, there was a great one. Uh, All Hallows. Have you ever heard that? It's amazing. No, it's I don't. On, is that Bob Dylan? Uh, I suppose it would have been on, uh, whatever it is, in October 31. It was in 1964 at the, I've completely forgotten which hall, famous hall in New York. And he brings on... Joan Byers, his then girlfriend, and they sing Silver Dagger together. What was his Carnegie Hall? It, it, no, it might have been Carnegie. I just simply can't remember now. But it was an absolutely epic performance, and that was a bootleg for years. And what he did rightly is uh, own all this stuff, and then one by one put them out as the bootleg series, you know. And the same with the Beatles. I mean, that was my big problem, having spent literally just probably thousands of pounds <laughs> on Beatles bootlegs. I think I have, I think I have somewhere between forty-five and fifty vinyl bootlegs. I mean, just it's that that wide, yeah, yeah. a yard of records, and the value of those, as you can see, was wiped overnight by the arrival of anthology. Well, except you've still got the. I've still got them. They're vinyl. They're vinyl. They've, got, they've also got bootleg sleeves, which is quite interesting. The Black of the Black album, of course, which is the white album, the triple, as, as, as a replica of the, of the white album, but all done in black with its own serial number, with its own alternative poster, with its own alternative. So that, that has it's really an amazing good record. It's also got stuff on it which has never been put out, actually. Amazing stuff. I tell you the one that struck me recently, Fraser, because I. I, I, I Finally got it, apparently legitimately, is, is the Little Feet first bootleg, which was released as Electrif Lycanthrope. That's right. In yeah, about 1975 right. or whatever. Because it was spelt wrong, wasn't it? It was spelt wrong. Electrif. <laughs> Electrif. <laughs> there was the, the limitations of a John Ball printing set, which is what they used They're to use back. in those days. Yeah. Uh, this is now available on something called the Internet Archive. Do you uh, know this? www.archive.org. Yes. Which is it's extraordinary. It's been on there for a long time. I know. And and so this is a record I bought in the, in, in the kind of back room of, of a shop just off Carnaby Street absolutely years ago feeling I was going to have my collar felt at any moment. And it's now freely available. Literally free. And it's also... It sounds fantastic. It sounds far better than it did at the time. And here's the point. It's far better than anything Little Feet legitimately released during their career. So I don't know why Not they haven't put it out. Not connected with the fact that it's out. Oh, that one isn't out, you it's, it's, oh, you, right. you can You can freely get it on the Internet Archive, which is some kind of... It's like a social service, isn't it, the internet? It is, and, and in terms of copyright, most of the stuff that's there is, is there in allowance of copyright. It's, 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 it's allowed. It's not a, a host for illegal no, and no, no, illicit no, no, recordings. No. So please go out and get it. Fill your boots. Enjoy it. It's an absolutely astonishing record. Uh, but I can't believe that Warner Brothers haven't put it out in the Little Feet, who did, seem to have repackaged all their material one way or another. They haven't put it out either. Did it's possibly Elvis, because the ownership of it is somehow disputed. Did Elvis Costello and the Attractions ever put out live at the Elmer Cambo? Remember that record? Came yes, I about, think I they did. I think that was. I think that was a that was a legit bootleg actually. And nothing was bootleg for a long time, but maybe oh, okay. maybe it did come out. Well, but, yeah, that's I've got a Columbia show. version. It of was. That. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've got a. This is so podcast. <laughs> I got a Columbia version. <laughs> well, I got a signed version. Of, <laughs> all about. No, uh, that was great because they were doing. I think I can. Was it Canadian? A Canadian radio show. Elmer Campbell. It was in Toronto. Toronto. Yeah, yeah. And the so therefore the sound quality is fantastic, and then it's got that great edge and attack to it because they're a little bit nervous and it's live and it's live radio and it's absolutely magnificent. So you were wondering does anybody make, are there any bootlegs? Well I anymore? don't know, I mean, does, does such a thing exist? If if some kind of blooper or outtake or terrible mistake occurs, uh, it's usually straight up on some kind of hilarious you know, YouTube site or something, isn't it? And you can usually see it, sorry, YouTube, sorry, YouTube site. <laughs> and who are the Beatles? <laughs> 
No, we're leaving that in, Mark. We're leaving that in. We're leaving that in. I haven't had much sleep. Sorry. Because every show, every show is recorded on somebody's mobile phone and it finds its way onto YouTube the following day, doesn't it? So the notion that there was kind of, there's official releases and then odd unofficial releases is a dead idea, isn't it? Yeah. Does it occur anymore, Fraser? No, I don't think it does, no. I mean, it's funny when you look at uh, audience shots now, and all you can see, if it's pointed towards the stage from, say, the sound desk, all you can see is a sea of little blue squares. It's depressing, isn't it, really? Yeah. It can't go But on. also, people do record things t- sort of almost deliberately for, for, for box sets, don't they? So, so they, they will record sound checks, and they will record, you know, people jamming in a hotel room and all that, in case it could be something that's a, a kind of archive piece to... To add on a box set to try and get someone to rebuy something. Well, I think it, because <laughs> it's got. Do you think it's also got to the point now where it's almost more trouble not to record something? You have to decide to switch it off. You know, everything is being recorded all the time. Yeah, I must have told you this before when I went to see Bruce Springsteen in, when he was playing in Canada and and the, and the West Coast of the states uh, about seven or eight years ago, or whatever. And I was watching the way they, you know, the kind of live video coverage of it. And and so every night, the show is effectively, because every, everything is captured, the show is effectively filmed in every respect, every night. And so you could go, you know, back to your dressing room afterwards, and you just look at the whole thing. And it won't be raw footage. It will have been kind of live edited so, oh, into some a... kind of shape that you could look at. You could put it out the following day. No, there's, there's bands like the Pixies and Pearl Jam going on tour and then releasing every show as a CD subsequently. Or, or Yes, for instance, who I saw two years ago, I think, and uh, as you filed out of the gig at the end of the show, you could buy memory sets containing the live recording of the performance you'd just witnessed. They're literally. Yeah. They, they, you can, how da- are they you can, turning you can that download round, the encores later on because I hadn't had time. To <laughs> have, to, have to email those to you. Yeah. So you got them when you got home. Oh dear! And people tell you the magic's gone. Yeah, I don't. Oh know. well. Anyway, presumably the incentive is to try and get yourself heard on the record. So if you're at the front, you're, you're the person who shouts out the hilarious thing. I am song. on a Guns N' Roses you're recording. Kidding. Oh yeah. really? Go they, on. They, they played so, at the uh, the first UK show. They played at the Marquee. They had four nights or three nights. And I went to two of them. And uh, during, I knew they were recording it because there was a mobile truck outside. And during the encores, they did a whole lot of Rosie by ACDC and Knocking on Heaven's Door. So on the, and during the quiet bits on Knocking Heaven's Door, I just screamed my head off. And it came out as the B-side of Mr. Brownstone. <laughs> and there I am. <laughs> you, must have, you must have won a lot of friends. Can we, yeah. get, can so we find that? What did everybody else Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've got a recording of it. Yeah. Oh, have you? God. Yeah. What, what did all the people around you think? Were they thrilled to be standing next to you? No one complained. Because what are the it's what are the great shouts out of the audience? What are the what are the great legendary shouts out of the audience? There's of course, uh, is it Whipping Post on the Owen Brothers uh, live at the Fillmore East? Somebody somebody shouts uh, Whipping Post. That's right. The, uh, the, which everybody used to go to gigs afterwards. For and a while, shout after, and shout whipping post. Even if you were going to see Ducks if Deluxe, see or, Ash, it didn't yeah. matter. Whipping post. It was just that one. It's what everybody <laughs> yeah. did. And you can hear somebody on the Rolling Stones uh, get your yayas out. Where a, a young woman with a with, sounds faintly bored, actually, quite obviously near enough to the front to be picked up by the on stage microphone, it goes, Paint it black, you devils. <laughs> weird thing to it's shout. It's a really yeah. weird a thing to shout. Thing. But it's, you know, and she's probably in her 60s now, you know, and that thing is, is still out there being listened to by people nowadays. In fact, maybe she's me. in her 60s then. She's some old deer at the front yes. wagging her finger yes. at them. Turn you it know. down, you yeah, fools. Yeah. Anyway, um, 
one thing we have, one person we haven't talked about because we haven't had a podcast since Jimmy Savile died that we were able to talk about uh, the passing of Jimmy Savile. Uh, it seems to me to be a fascinating figure. Well, <laughs> God, I've read quite a few obituaries, and I must admit, I, I learned a great deal about him I didn't know. I mean, let's be honest, an extraordinary fellow. Well, and well, it's also hard to love in some ways. Hard to, very hard to love. We love to say, you ever met him? I met cold. Yeah. Oh, Lord. <laughs> And uh, very peculiar, but did some extraordinary things. You know, that whole kind of physical fitness thing rather impressed me, really, because anybody who can run a marathon in their whatever it is, 70s or something, clearly must have been supernaturally fit early on. And he did the most extraordinary things, didn't he? Wasn't he, uh, wasn't he actually an athlete at one point? Or am I, or am I well, he, he was, was a wrestler. He was a wrestler. A wrestler. He was a wrestler. A professional wrestler. I think he lost 100 bouts. <laughs> Did he win any? I think he won twelve or something. Okay. <laughs> he lost hundred. But, but we see so much about about Jimmy Savile. Uh, so much of what we know about Jimmy Savile, we only have one source for that knowledge, and that is Jimmy Savile. Jimmy Savile, um, who was you know a man not above you know exaggerating his achievements occasionally. Are you referring to the two turntables and a microphone? Well, thing? two turntables and a microphone is a very good point um, because. I think it, it. Let's go through. Let's uh, quickly zoom Did through. Did he exaggerate the fact that he worked in the mines? No, he didn't. No, accident? not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Because he was born very poor in a large, you know, uh, family of Irish Catholic extraction in Leeds, and uh, nobody had any money. And this is in the nineteen twenties and thirties. Uh, and his dad was a was a bookies runner, uh, and uh, he he went down the mines as a Bevan boy. And Bevan boys were were uh, chaps who were in the kind of late teens during the war who didn't quite qualify for for military service, but instead there was a project for them to go down the mines, you know, to replace coal miners who joined the joined the army and so forth. And so he was one of them. He was a Bevan boy, so he'd be underground about the age of sixteen or seventeen, which is pretty remarkable, yeah. which is almost Victorian. Because you're uh, down there in the dark, hacking away at the coal face, and the voice goes. <laughs> <laughs> As it happens, <laughs> the, glow, the glowing end of a cigar butt lights up. The canary quite... turns over and dies in its cage. <laughs> he hadn't quite got that far at that point. And then the there jangle was, of metallic. He was in an accident and badly hurt his back. And, and so he was kind of invalided out of the Bevan Boys. But he's a very enterprising soul. And he, he used to say, and I, I sort of believe this bit, that he was the first person in Britain to sell tickets for an occasion where people came and danced to records. Because the whole notion of dancing to records, nobody can understand why anybody would do it. You dance to a band, and there were bands all over the place. You know, that's just the natural state. We just ran a piece about this in in Word, actually, the American equivalent of this. And and so he... He just he he took some hall, some sort of Masonic hall in Leeds, room above a hall or something, 1943, and just printed up some tickets saying "Record Dance, One Shilling," and wanted to, didn't know who'd turn up, but of course a bunch of people did turn up, and he just played. He had about. 12 records that he somehow borrowed because his proud boast throughout his career was he didn't own any records at all. Your records were complete tools, you know, they were just things you got, you know. Um, and so he found this was a success and it was, you know, on a small scale quite revolutionary. I'd love to know what they were. And then later on, he, he, he reckoned that he was the first person, to, in, probably in Britain, to put together two turntables in order to, to, you know, to go smoothly from one record into another. Uh, now, there are people argue, oh, those machines were on sale anyway in the 30s in the United States or whatever. 
but I, they probably wouldn't have reached Leeds. No. Uh, and so he got involved in the in the kind of ballroom business in in the west of Yorkshire, and ran a load of ballrooms for for Mecca, the you know the Mecca group it used to be called the Mecca Locarno. These kind of ballrooms I vaguely remember as a kid, you know, that they would be patronised on Saturday night by um, by by miners, very smartly dressed miners, you know, going there to drink eight pints, yeah. have a fight. And pull a girl called Shirley. Um, <laughs> we've all been there. We've all been there. And if you go and watch the film Saturday Night and Sunday Morning or A Kind of Loving or any other, there's always a scene yeah, in yeah. in the Mecca ballroom. So did you mean Samuel ran that so did kind he of claim thing? that he'd invent all that? I mean, did, 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 well, I think, I think he, he bigged up his part, but, you know, like, like all those guys do. So there'd be no was... Sugar Hill Records, there'd be no Mixed Man. Well, I, no, I think that sort of thing would have occurred anyway. But it's, it's a pretty significant shift, it isn't is, it? true, The yeah. idea that come along and just dance to some records, yeah. which now we accept is a major leisure activity of millions of people all over the world. But I wonder what was his main motivation. Do you think it was to collect the one shilling at the door? Of course it was. From his love of of music? No, absolutely. The shilling at the door, absolutely. But to be fair, in his lifetime, he diverted a lot of shillings he did. He, uh, into very good courses, he did. didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it was necessarily done, you know, to make himself rich. No. But he, he had the most curious kind of self-aggrandizing streak <laughs> that he... There's a, there's a bench on, on the seafront at Scarborough, which is where he's ended up being buried, at a certain angle so, so he can see, see the, the sea. sea. That's yeah. right, he's at 45 degrees. Yes. <laughs> but there was a bench for years. More than that, on the, on the, into it. On the front that, that had been put up there, and he had a plaque on it saying... Sir Jimmy Savile, but not yet. <laughs> and, and who'd paid for that? Jimmy, Jimmy Savile. Savile. Uh, Jimmy Savile. And he used to put about these stories. He, he put about the story that was picked up by loads of newspapers that he spent every Christmas with Margaret Thatcher, which is nonsense. I used to think that was very extraordinary. <laughs> He's made uh, it up. No disrespect to the late uh, Jimmy Savile. I would have thought she would have been very strapped for, for, for company on Christmas Day if she had to ring up. But... <laughs> Maybe she wanted to re- reenact the old record dances of, 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 of your. But didn't, didn't somebody. Didn't, wasn't there a comedy sketch that depicted Margaret Thatcher and Jimmy Savile having Christmas Day? I think, you know, because everything Jimmy Savile did. Very quickly became the kind of it became comedy, didn't it? Oh, Cartoonable or whatever. And yeah. so, and so the myth and the reality just completely merged. And people used to tell terrible stories about Jimmy Savile, none of which I've ever seen a shred of evidence no. for at all. No. And you know, not posting death either. It was just one of those targets that people were, you know, quite comfortable having a go at because he he never belonged inside the the kind of hip tent. No, did he? Didn't. You have been listening to the free feed of the Word podcast. The full album-length version is only available to subscribers to the magazine. To sign up and to hear the rest of this podcast, go to www.wordpodcast.co.uk. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 